But when Jesus talks about the two greatest commandments, he says, you love God with everything you've got, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because those are the two things that go on forever. All the created stuff is going to perish, but God is eternal and your neighbor will exist somewhere, somehow, forever. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Out of Water Podcast. My name is Sam. I'll be your host today. Joining me today is Will, as always. Hi, Sam. How's it going, Will? It's going great. I have some exciting updates for us. Let's do it. Um, We love our listeners, and we're very thankful for all of you, but kind of this podcast has always just been by word of mouth, really. Mm -hmm. Like Our church members have listened, you guys have passed it on, and we're so thankful for that, but um, we really love doing this, and we would love for more people to hear it, so in order to do that, we've... You know, gotten on the social medias that we may <laughs> the interwebs <laughs> we may rag on from time <laughs> to time uh, but we had now have an instagram it's called the out of water podcast so if you would follow along you'll see our short reels that we'll post there um, every week kind of just clips um, that are shareable that that are ready to go and also our youtube yeah, so Will took the initiative to get video of this so now we have a video podcast yeah so now that we have video we will be putting full episodes onto youtube so if you ever, I don't know why you'd want to, but if you ever want to see us talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Or you're looking to put a face with a name if you've never seen us. You'll, that's you'll see true. how unpleasant we look. That and, would be wild. Life. Yeah, that's right. So we, we started, you know, looking into this and we had some people come to us and they were like, you know what, we really enjoy this. So we want to get behind it. And so, you know, we did some different platforms to where we can track things and we have subscribers in 35 or 36 countries right now that specific numbers jumping out of my brain, but we're top 5% of podcasts on these platforms. So, so they're actually people listening, which is the good news. Wild. Which, <laughs> before that, we were just shooting in the dark and we would have done it if nobody was listening because it's just fun to talk about the scriptures. Um, though it's good to know that there are actual people listening. And in addition to that, we have some people in our church that are just excited about getting the word of God out and some of the historical and archeological and how it all points to Jesus. And so we started another platform uh, that Will and I have been working on with some really wonderful people in our church for the last several months. And it's called Under the Hood. And the idea is, you know, when you're a mechanic, you're getting under the hood and seeing how everything works. And so it's teaching people to read the Bible with some of these more creative perspectives that I think God, as an artist and a master storyteller, intends for us to see. And so that project's called Under the Hood. And we just very recently. I've been dumping some of these samples and shorts onto YouTube, full episodes, which are, you know, somewhere between 20 and 35 minutes, uh, but then shorts, which are under a minute with little clips of this and without any marketing or even telling anybody about it, uh, you know, there's already a couple hundred subscribers and more than 70, you said 75,000 yeah. uh, views. views so far. And that's just, I mean, our, we dumped a batch last week. And so it's, those numbers have been climbing quickly, which is cool that people are getting engaged and it, it draws a lot of people who are huge fans and admirers of the scripture and it also draws some skeptics. So, you know what, but it's it's getting the conversation going. And so that's really exciting and I just want to thank everybody for for lending us your ears. 
how would they access the under the hood? Because it is difficult right now because YouTube is all algorithm based and we're, you know, small guys in a big pond right now. That's correct. So, so the specific URL that you can go to is youtube.com forward slash the at symbol under the hood FL. So that's youtube.com forward slash the at symbol under the hood FL. Uh, and then you can access all of those videos. And we've posted 50 videos uh, to date so far. And they've, they've, they've been popular. A lot, of, a lot of likes, which is a good thing to see. Um, but check that out. Enjoy it. We're going to be producing a lot more of those in the coming months and years. And we've had the privilege of using Stephen Kelly, who's a member at Rio, his garage, which has all these incredible yeah. antique remodeled, what's renovated. What's the word I'm looking at? Restored. Restored. Thank you. Cars that are like, you know, more than we make in a decade, probably. <laughs> Um, but anyway, it's this amazing space that's really cool. And everybody who's seen those videos has been like, wow, they look really cool. Um, so thank you so much to everybody who has helped to make that happen. It's been a lot of fun to do. And one last thing, we know that we sometimes feel like we're just shooting this out into space, but we now have a new email that if you ever have questions or you just want to comment or you ever have future topics that you'd like to hear about, um, that email is outofwaterpodcast at riovistachurch.com. Yeah, we love to hear from our listeners, you know, questions, things that we can clarify, but we do love to hear, hey, why don't you do a series on this? Like yeah. it spurs a lot of creativity in us. And, and honestly, if it's something that people want to see, let's do it. You yeah. know, we want to dive into it and show how God is beautiful in all of these different avenues of life and culture. Uh, so it's a kind of a fun time and I love creating this stuff. And so to see some of these avenues open up has been uh, wind in my sails you know it's it's god has really really been blessing us and i'm grateful for it so today we just finished up the first commandment in our last episode one and done <laughs> today we are going to get through the second and third commandment that's our goal so let's 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 shoot for it how would you say for the first commandment what were the biggest takeaways that on the top of your head come up from the last episode i think a lot of our talk about why the law exists was very, very beneficial for me even to remember that. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of Mount Sinai can be doom and gloom and just, we want to reject that just as humanity. That's not our thing. And seeing that like God's purpose is so beautiful in that, not only to show us what a flourishing life looks like, but to point us to Jesus in each and every facet when we're absolutely demolished by the law, which we should be every single day. It's beautiful to think, oh, God, God has a plan for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, the commandments are meant to be beautiful. Every one of them is leading you toward flourishing and freedom, if you really understand it. And the other side of that, that I, that I remember, we went through all the crazy legal codes and how human wisdom by itself, without a, a wisdom from another world, always leads you into crazy stuff. And I remembered um, listening to a Tim Keller sermon, and he was, he was saying, you know, the Jiminy Cricket from Disney you know, always let your conscience be your guide. And he says, would, would you give that advice to Charles Manson? <laughs> you know? <laughs> True. You know, because the human, you know, the, the Bible says that the human heart is desperately wicked and deceitful. You know, it's your own worst accuser. It will tell you things that are false about yourself all the time where you have to go to the gospel and be like, no, no, no. In God's sight, I am this and hmm. preach truth to yourself because your own conscience can be your worst enemy and it can accuse you of terrible things, right? It, you accuse yourself of way more than the world does. Enough, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so 
the reality is your conscience is skewed. It's off. And your view of morality sometimes is skewed and off. You need a voice, an anchor, a truth from outside of yourself to keep you grounded in reality, both for the good, the grace, the how much you're valued, that God would go to a cross for you. You're that valuable. That's wild. And you got to preach yourself that to yourself because otherwise you forget that and you feel like I'm no good. Nobody wants me. It's easy to go down that spiral. But on the other side, like God knows what's best for me. I can't just in my own creativity think, I think this is better than what God says because that always ends up you know, down a dangerous path. And so that was our talk about the first commandment. God is God, you are not. There's a lot to that that's, that's really important to recognize. So today we're jumping into the second commandment, which is very similar to the first one. And it actually causes some confusion. Like people are like, what's the difference? And that is where we get into the command against idolatry. So I'm going to read from Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. He says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that's in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so that's the second commandment. And you notice right away, he's saying, I don't want you making images that you bow down and worship. Physical things in this world that you bow down to worship. What's the first thing that you think of when, when you hear that read? Money. Totally. Money. I know we're not, I mean, we, somebody's making it. <laughs> <laughs> or the first thing I really think of is the old manufactured idols that would have been talked about in this mm-hmm. day. Yeah, so no idols. What it's talking about, it's carved images. And then it says, don't bow down to any of these things. And, you know, when you hear idols, it's like you're saying, if you go back to the Babylonian culture or Sumerian culture or Egypt, you know, they would make these statues or things that you would actually have in your house. And honestly, like we think, okay, that's primitive. And it is, you know, but they would have these gods, Asherah poles or whatever, that would represent the thing they were after. And we think we're more sophisticated, but in reality, they would have a god of fertility, and they would they would put it up as a little statuette in their home, and they would be like, okay, whichever god, whichever culture, you know, god of fertility, we bow down to you. Please give us children. Please make our crops grow. Please, please make dot, 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 dot. And they would bow down before a statue, but we do the same thing. We just get rid of the stone gods. You know, they, they weren't worshiping that stone. They were worshiping what the heart of it was, was... I need children to feel Mm. important. I need you to give me crops to satisfy everything about me. And rather than going to the creator of all things, they're really just worshiping fertility in all of its forms. We do the same thing. Or they, you know, if we lived back then, we would have a statue of the God of paychecks or or Hmm. economic provision, and we would worship the stone. But in reality, we're worshiping what the stone's going to give us. You know, they're, they're not going, oh, fertility, God, I love you. They love fertility. They're not worshiping the God of money. They worship money and they want money. So, yeah, I'll deal with you if I have to. <laughs> I'll sacrifice to you if I have to, but it's not for you. I just want the stuff that you, as, a, as an idol, are going to provide me. So, we think we're more sophisticated because we don't bow down to statues, but we're still worshiping created stuff. 
And now even that you say that, thinking about how our culture works, we still do it just in a different way. Like we worship sex because look at all of our movies have to include sex. All of our TV shows have to include sex. They all have to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Or we worship, I don't know, violence and our music is violent. Yeah, Everything, our movies are violent. And all of a sudden we're like, oh, we're not so different. Maybe it's not made of wood or stone. Maybe it's a more artsy form of yeah. whatever it is, but we're filling our minds with all of that. And we're shocked when it comes out like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we, th- we think we're advanced because we don't just, we don't make a statue out of it and we're not literally bowing down before it, but everything in your heart has the posture of bowing down to it. You know, if, if I don't get this and I mean, we all have them. John Calvin says the human heart is just an idol making factory. It's constantly going, what can I worship? And by the way, you worship, I don't care if you're an atheist or you consider yourself agnostic, whatever you worship stuff. Whatever is the highest priority in your life that you will turn your calendar and you will turn your checkbook toward because you need this to matter. You need this in order for you to matter. That's your God. That's that's where you're chasing your significance. You're bowing down to it. You're rearranging your life to serve it. And God is like, I want you to do that to me and to trust me with all the things that that you're going to receive, right? It's like, you know, Abraham when he leaves all of his idols and he chases after God, we talked about this. God says, hey, I will make your name great. Hmm. But that's just different, right? Because all the idols we chase, what are we thinking? If I could just get these idols, then I will, be, I will matter more. I'll build myself up. My name will become great. I will, I, will, I will be worth something if I could just get this stuff. And what God does with Abraham, he's like, hey, come after me and you let me worry about how much you matter. Let me worry about your name. And that's totally freeing, Mm. but it's utterly contradictory to the way that this world operates, top to bottom. Yeah, it's a real gift that God's coming to us and doing this because we are chasing after idols and he's trying to help us not to. And I love when we read the text, because so often you hear the Ten Commandments just like bang, 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 one, two, three, just in a row. But like this one is expanded. Mm-hmm. Like he gives us the why of all of this, which I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Like just to protect us from ourselves, protect us from our own hearts. He's saying, no, I'm the Lord, your God. And this, this is what flourishing looks like. That's right. And what's interesting is, is he uses, he, he describes this in a way that's supposed to provoke an echo in your mind, right? Cause he's saying, I don't want you creating anything in my image that's on the heavens or the earth or below the earth or in the sea or whatever. But God is in the business of creating things in his image, hmm. right? God, yeah. God's the original. He can create things in his image. And guess what those are? Us. We are. So God says, hey, you want to know what is in my image? I'm making humanity at the beginning of the world in my image, Right. And then we mess that all up, right? We, we're, we're now totally, you know, sinful nature, self-absorbed, all the pain and hurt in the world, justice and mercy are, uh, you know, a mess everywhere. And so it's like God almost gives this project like, hey, I don't want you going out there and making images of me out of the garbage created stuff. That's not who I am. You want to make something in the image of me. It's the redemptive story, Mm -hmm. right? We're told in Colossians chapter one that Jesus comes into the world and he is in the image of the invisible God. It uses that language like Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And when we lead people toward the kingdom of God, when we lead people toward salvation, what's the big project? We are conforming them, Paul says in Romans eight, into the 
image image of Christ. And so it's like, you want to get on an idol making project where you're creating things in the image of God, start with your neighbor, Hmm. lead them to Jesus, get them conforming to the image of God and righteousness and peace and purity and justice and mercy and all the attributes of God. You want to make something that reflects the image of God. It's your neighbor. And that's what, like when Jesus talks about the two greatest commandments, I'm off on a tangent here. (laughs) Keep going. But when Jesus talks about the two greatest commandments, he says, you love God with everything you've got, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because those are the two things that go on forever. All the created Mm -hmm. stuff is going to perish, but God is eternal and your neighbor will exist somewhere, somehow, forever. And everything that you invest in a human soul matters eternally. And so invest your stuff there in things that bear the image of God, either God himself or your neighbor who bears the image of God and needs to be conformed and redeemed more into the image of God. I think the end of this verse needs some discussion because when you see things like jealous God, you're, uh-huh. that's confusing because yeah. you're like jealousy, no. And then when you see things like, oh, I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers on their children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate yeah. me, like things to be discussed yeah totally need to discuss this first off god's a jealous god like what in the world because when you hear jealousy we're wrong that's bad yeah that's on the bad side of the ledger like you don't want jealousy but let me ask you this question okay let me i'm gonna let me paint a story that's that's an unpleasant one you go home today right is this this one again it's this this, one again this is personal but it is it works it totally works you go home today and morgan comes up to you and says hey will i've developed a relationship with another guy and I'm giving my heart and everything that I am to him. How you feeling? I mean, the appropriate response is anger. Yeah. And like, where does he live? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. this is going to end. But you would be enraged. Like you would be jealous. You would be hurt. You would be like betrayed. Every one of those emotions. Are they wrong? Is rage bad? Is jealousy bad? Is all like because if you said if you said well you know whatever makes you happy, yeah, honey, cool. <laughs> do you can you possibly love your wife if she comes to you and says, hey, I know that we're in a covenant and I'm supposed to be totally faithful to you. You love me beyond measure. You're an incredible husband, but you know what? I like I I'm stepping out and I'm giving my heart to anyone and everything else for a moment. If you love her you'd better be jealous. You'd better fight. You'd better say, no, like you're, you're, I love you. I want you to be mine. You're safe with me. I know that the best for you and our daughter is with me. Like you should be jealous to demand her heart to be yours and yours alone. And so if you had a God that says, you know what? Like, yeah, you're chasing money and you're chasing drugs and you're chasing every other form of addiction, however it manifests. And I'm not jealous at all. Like, hey, do whatever makes you happy. I know that road ultimately leads to destruction and it's going to leave you empty. But you know what? I don't really care enough about you to get jealous over it. Mm. Like how crazy in a privileged way is it that God is jealous of your affections, that God wants all of you? That's wild to think about. So far from being a negative, like you hear that, I mean, without context of thinking through that, this is a loving God, right? Without context, it might come across like, man, he's petty. God is jealous. Like, no, that all of that jealousy is sourced by a love for you. It's, It's like 
and a, and a glory like he's worthy of it you know the the sun keeps the planets orbiting around the sun oh, rookie move i have my phone on do not disturb look yeah that's not working we're going to figure that what out what in the this is like a thing sam's a boomer who can't operate his phone <laughs> i you, all right you fix it that says do not disturb on uh, you don't have different ones I, what, I, don't know, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> Solve that later. Do we even redo that or just go? I would just go. I think you ended somewhere fine. Did I? Oh, the sun. The sun is glorious enough to have the gravity that keeps the planets near it. And it's a good thing for us that the sun is awesome enough to keep us in orbit. Like it, it draws us because without that, we'd, we'll fly into the universe. We would, if we were like, nah, I'm better off on my own. The whole planet would die, right? So it's, it's nearness to the sun, and that's an inanimate object, but you get the metaphor. To be near to the Lord is life. To say, you know what, I'm going to go off on my own is like cold, death, darkness. Mm. Like you're, you're, you lose your source of life. If God loves you, like gravity, I'm going to be jealous of you. I want you near me because it's what's best for you. And so the jealousy thing is an unbelievable statement of how much our God loves us. And then the next one's like the way that I hear this, because it talks about, you know, I'm, I'm gracious and compassionate to the generations, to thousands of generations, but to those who hate me, who turn against me, the, the third and fourth generations are punished of those who hate me, right? I'm like yeah. pretty close to paraphrasing that. But what this means, like the way that God, we talked about this last week, the way that God has woven and designed the universe is that when you walk away from him and you say, I'm going to do this on my own, I'm going out on my own, I'm rejecting you, and let's say I give my life to addiction or I give my life to some destructive thing that breaks my home apart and everything about it is just destructive. What's the natural consequence that's going to hit my children? They'll have to suffer through that as well. They suffer. You know, if, if you have one person who's in addiction, it makes the likelihood of the children or a broken home or divorce or whatever. And, and it's, not a, it's not a foolproof thing. Yeah. But if you have one generation that falls into the rebellion against God, it is so likely that the next generation is going to rebel and they're going to suffer consequences. And it starts a cycle of poverty. It starts a cycle of addiction. It starts a cycle of abuse. And so when it says to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, that I want you to hear this because it's saying if the third and fourth generation continue to despise me and push me away, the consequences keep coming to the next generation. And, and in a sense, this is, this is a great and he heavy call upon parents. Like your decisions don't just affect you. Your decisions are going to affect your children. They're going to watch you. And in a lot of ways, they're going to become you in the long run. And the consequences will fall not just to your children, but your grandchildren and great-grandchildren and on and on. And if they continue to say, God, I don't want you to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, mm. if the next generation runs to God, done. Yeah. The consequences aren't there anymore. He redeems, he welcomes, he pulls in. But what he's saying is if you run away from me, chances are it's going to be generational problems and consequences and destruction but to those who love me and fear my name and come to me, I am faithful to the thousands mm. of generations, right? 
And so this is a covenantal thing. We, we, our generation, has an obligation to the next generation, and that generation has an obligation to the next generation. And you're seeing this, by the way, play out in our own country. When you turn from God and you say, you know what, we don't want your wisdom anymore, we don't want you, you watch the generational curse, right? Look at, I mean, look at one generation to the next, going back to the 20s. We talked about this in our series on education. Like when they said, you know what, we're, we're going to start to purge God from society. Well, look what happened to the next generation. And then you had the sexual revolution. Then you had, you know, the purging of God from everything. And you look at where this current generation is and its worldview mm-hmm. and all of the psychological problems and, and the depression and the suicides and the anxiety and everything else. It's because... Th- I have to be God for myself. I have to run around and find meaning in all of these idols. It's the first two commandments have been obliterated (laughs) over them. I am my own God, and I've got to run around and find something to satisfy me. And God's saying, no, 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 let me be God. I'm God. That's not on your job description. That's too stressful. Like, let me and, and understand how much I love you. And by the way, I'm jealous of you. I want you near me. So you're valued. You're precious. You're, you have an identity in me. And all that stuff that you're chasing, your job and your money and your this and your that, never going to fill you. Mm. Come to me and let me fill you. That's what this generation's missing. And so you wonder why this generation, and the word hate is, is kind of strong when it's the way that the Old Testament does. But hate literally means like to push away. It's, you know, when it talks about Jacob hating his wife, it's literally like indifference. I just, eh, I, don't, I don't want you. That's the idea. It's not like they're sitting and going, oh, I hate him. It's just, eh, I don't want you. And when people, eh, I don't want God, you see it show up in their lives and there's consequences to that. Does that, does that make sense of those? Those are challenging yep. to hear. God is jealous and that consequences and it, you know, judgments are going to fall on generations for the actions of one. And that's why the importance of the commandment is like it's, it's telling us why, not just like, hey, I'm God and I'm going to tell you what to do, even though he has every right to. He's saying, no, that there's mm-hmm. consequences of the way we live and we understand that in human society. So let me try to help you before you get there. Correct. Let me try to make the first generation one that obeys this commandment so the third and fourth generations don't have to wrestle with this. And you see that play out in scripture, by the way, again and again and again. It, I mean, in Judges, you, you taught on this not long ago, where it's like, it only takes one generation, and it's off to the races on all the things that then befall Israel, and everybody suffers through them until you know they learn that doing right in their own eyes doesn't exactly work for their benefit right that's the story of judges again and again they did right they did what was right in their own eyes and they turned and forsook god and it did not go well for them they chased after idols mm. and then what happened to them they rock got bottom they got enslaved and they hit rock bottom idols always enslave you so this this whole commandment about trying to chase and find satisfaction to worship created things Every single time, they never love you back, Mm. and they will think, you need more of me. Just a little bit more. Chase it a little bit harder. Oh, you got it? Well, just a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And before you know it, you're mangled, exhausted. You've got every bit of it that you could ever stomach, and it does not satisfy. Mm. Talk to anybody who's achieved fame. Talk to anybody who's climbed and is the billionaire. Talk to anybody, and they will tell you, doesn't satisfy. It does not satisfy there's, there's two things that you talk to somebody who's living a, a satisfied life, and it's loving God, and it's loving those that are made in the image of God. Don't go creating things mm. thinking that they are your God. You know, these images that are garbage. 
God has made something to bear his image. I'm looking at him. Like that's worth investing in. That's an eternal soul. And when I get to the end of my life, I promise you nobody wants to have on their gravestone, I served a bunch of stuff. Mm. But you would be proud to put on your gravestone, he served lots of people. He made the lives of others better. He loved God. He had his eyes on the heavenly city, right? Like that is a beautiful life. And that's a classic trope. Like no one brings all their money to their deathbed. That's it. Yeah, like if you're surrounded by your kids, if you're surrounded by your grandkids, if you make it that long, like no one's stacking up their bank accounts next to them and being like, yep, that yep. was good. And we don't like to think about death, but each and every one of us needs to live in light of the fact that we're going to die. Like, what do we want? You know, the dates, you heard that before on the tombstone. Oh, the important yeah. thing is the dash. Like, what is your dash? Like, where did, where did you invest your dash? Because you're going to die. Like, eventually, how is your life going to matter if you've spent it chasing stuff and idols? And this, this is kind of a, a, another thought that's in between the first and the second commandment because when you have false gods, one of the promises of the scripture is when you have idols, you become like your idols. And so Psalm, 15, Psalm 115 uh, verse 8 says, those who make idols will be like them and so will all who trust them. And you think, well, how does that work? This has been true all throughout ancient history and, and some of the obvious ones I'll use as a, as a illustration but you go back to the city of athens and athens worshiped a particular goddess above all else and that it bears the name athena was that god and athena was the goddess of wisdom and warfare mm. what was athens most known for i would say the philosophers yeah the birthplace of philosophy which literally is from the greek the love of wisdom right so they become obsessed with wisdom because they worship athena the goddess of wisdom and then they also have this imperial navy and this army and this empire mentality because athena is also a goddess of war or you go to corinth and this is a little bit adult but in in corinth they worship the goddess aphrodite which is the goddess of erotic love right and so what when paul is writing to corinth what is the big issue that he's having to address again and again and again and again it is sexual sin and it's crazy because in at the summit of corinth they had a, a, a temple to aphrodite where prostitutes worked around the clock a thousand of them the, the his, different history books talk about and so that becomes their defining mark as a city because they worship a goddess of erotic love so all of their issues are erotic love islam is it literally means submission right and it, it has this kind of like you owe absolute obedience and it's kind of a tyrannical feel to even the the identity of what islam is and what do all the cultures that practice it look like it's that's where you see the greatest abuses of human rights and women and go down the line and they're allergic to western values because it's all about submission well if you come to america and you look at what we worship, like, and we've walked away from God, and you look at what we worship, right? What would you say America worships today above all else? Money. Money or acceptance. You can do whatever you want, but you should be praised no matter what. And you look at how society begins to reflect that. You become what you worship if acceptance at any cost is your ultimate desire you'll watch your society become like that. And so you literally become what you worship. And you, I mean, you, you do this as a kid. I've, I've said this before, but if, if you're a kid and you watch a superhero movie, what are you doing immediately after it's done? 
Whatever that superhero was doing. Whatever that superhero was doing. So if you're Spider-Man, you're shooting webs out of your wrist. Or if you're Superman, you're putting the, the bath towel around your neck and flying around. And Iron Man, you're, you know, whatever that thing's up with chest. your hands. Yeah, yeah. But you become the superhero because you look at them and you're like, oh, that's amazing. I want to be like that. And guess what? You become like the one you worship, which works the same in Christianity. And so when God comes and says, you shall have no other gods before me, and the ultimate aim of sanctification in the life of a believer is to become more like God, then if he's your highest pinnacle of beauty and value and worth, and he's so much better than anything else you see in this world, guess what? You will not be able to help but become like him to be a champion for the underdog, to be merciful, to be truthful, to be, to, to revere life, to, to keep your word, to hold your covenants, because that's the kind of God that he is. And you love him above all else. So you want to know why the first commandment and the second commandment are the most important for the rest of them? Because if you hold something else out as the ultimate, you got no shot at the rest of these commandments. I mean, they all hinge on these first two, because if you find him most beautiful and all other idols look like garbage by comparison, oh, well, then you've got a fighting shot at the rest of these commandments because you'll want to be like him and they look like him. Mm, That's good. But if you first and second aren't important to you, you're you're not a chance. You're going to be whatever you worship and whatever the thing you worship says about the subjects that we're going to get to later on. That's right. Yeah, that's right. That makes sense. Totally. So now we get to the third commandment. And this is one that people look at and they kind of race right by and they think, oh, it's, it's, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Simple. That's right. So let me just read it and then we'll talk about it. So this is Exodus 20 verse seven. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And when you hear that, what do you think? Well, it just verbally that I should not say God outside in yeah. a non-reverent way. That's correct. And so we reduce that. Yeah. Um, and so I want you to hear that I'm about to use some examples, but this is not using his name in vain because I'm using them to teach about the sacredness of his name. Okay. But for people who do like OMG, you know, that's traditionally how we think of taking God's name in yeah. vain or saying, oh, God's name, you know, or cheese and rice instead of saying Jesus Christ, you know, all of those names when it's like, that's how we traditionally think of taking God's name in vain and all that's right. Yeah. It's totally right. You shouldn't do it. And I remember teaching a middle school class one time and it was like, I, cause they don't like, what's the big deal? It's just words. Like why would, and it's like, okay, well, hold on a minute. Like I want you to imagine that you're, you know, you walk across the room, you stub your toe, and you yell, Laura Caston Smith. <laughs> like, what is it? What, why? Why would you do that? You know, or, or something terrible happens and you're screaming the name of my wife, or you're, you're screaming the name of Will or Morgan or whatever. Well, that means you're associating it with that thing. And I, like, mm. I love my wife. I don't want you, you know, screaming associating really awful things with her because it it degrades her. Now, we're not talking about Laura. We're talking about God, who is worthy of infinite reverence. And when you use his name, which should 
evoke fear and reverence and worship, a healthy fear. Like, and you're just throwing it around like it's just cheap. Yeah, you don't want to do this because one of the things you're doing is to say, you know what? Like, he's not all that valuable. I can, I can just talk about him. It's flippant. It's flippant. Just comes out of the tongue well, no matter what happens. There's no gravity to his name. Like, mm. just, eh, here we go. It's just, I'm just going to toss it around. But beyond that, so like everybody looks at that. You have any thoughts on that? No, I think that covers it. All right. But so everybody goes to that and that's like the obvious one. Yeah. We should treat God's name always with reverence, right? But then if you look at this in the original Hebrew, it's kind of an interesting thing because it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why does it use take? Instead of say, because we always associate this commandment with saying, that's true. speaking, but that's not what it says here. It says, you shall not take, and the literal word there in the Hebrew means to carry, hmm. which means like you're carrying it around. So imagine, like if I take my book. Yeah, yeah. Like a physical object yeah. almost. It's, but you're walking around with the name of the Lord. Do not do that in vain. And so it's not just saying, hey, what, it's not just about what comes out of your mouth. It's where you go all day long. It's when you wake up, you're carrying it. When you go to bed, you're carrying it. When you go to work, you're carrying it. When you go to school, wherever you go, you're constantly carrying the name of the Lord. How does that work? Because you walk around with the title of Christian. And even more than the words that come out of your mouth, some might argue, I think I would argue, how you carry the Lord's name and your identity and your behavior and how you treat others and how you speak to others speaks about his character because it's not just like, oh, you're a Christian, like you're some divorced you know, thing floating out independent of God. You represent him. Paul talks about how you're a temple of the Lord. Mm. You, you're a letter from Jesus Christ to a watching world. You are his ambassador. You're supposed to be in the image of God, communicating his attributes to other people. And when you go around, let's say that I, I go into a building and I say, I'm a Christian pastor, and I punch someone right in the face, and then I cuss out his wife, and that doesn't just affect my reputation. Yeah. That impacts the church's reputation, and by extension, it impacts the Lord's the Lord's reputation. And that's why he's saying, like, if you're going to carry my name, not just what comes out of your mouth, if you're going to carry my name, you're going to take my name, then do not use it in a way that's empty. That's what that means, in vain. Like, there's no substance behind it. You just walk around carrying my name, but there's zero substance. It's all vanity. It's empty. There's nothing there. You're, you're a hypocrite. You're a fake. You're a fraud. Do not take my name if that's who you are. Mm. That's the gravity of this commandment. And that's why it says, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. If you think about, you know, it's just a word that slipped out of my mouth and God's like, oh, I'm really angry. No, it's God's looking at people. Like imagine the pastor and the damage that he does to people when he says, I speak in the name of the Lord and you're worthless. Mm. Ooh, God, I would not want to stand before God and say, hey, I represented your name, your character, who you are, because a name is the essence of a person. Your identity. And I'm speaking on your behalf and I'm, I'm preaching a gospel that is hostile to everything that you stand for. 
God would be like, oh, you're harming my reputation in the sight of that person that you've just wounded. I do not want you speaking on my behalf. I will not hold you guiltless. Mm. So all of the, the scandals that happen in churches and all the abuses that happen at the hands of, of Christians or pastors, that's really important to God. You know, it makes the list early. <laughs> yeah, because when you talk to people who, you know, who take God offensively or, or are not Christians or not walking with the Lord, who don't want a relationship with them, and you start to mm-hmm. talk to them, a lot of times it's, oh, I prayed this and God didn't answer. That's a lot of it, like having to do with God. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of it is, well, I knew this person, they treated me this mm-hmm. way. And they carry the name of Jesus. And if that's what this God is about, then I don't want, I don't want anything to do with them. Because the truth is a lot of people only know anything about God by the way we treat them. That's 100% right. You know, when I was a headmaster, I used to go, we, we, Bethany is an outreach school, which means you don't have to be a Christian to come here, but you have to agree that when we teach your kids, they're getting a Christian worldview. We're going to teach from the Bible as the authoritative inspired word of God. Like you're signing up for that and know that that's what your kid's getting. Even if you're not a believer, we want them to become one. So mm-hmm. know that we're working on that. And by the way, we're working on you too when you come to Bethany. But here's the idea. Every time I start talking with somebody about their religious history, the overwhelming majority of people who said, yeah, I was raised in this, it's not that they say, well, I didn't find Jesus enough. You know, this whole grace thing, I'm not interested in that. It's I was really wounded in a season of my life by someone who carried the name. Mm -hmm. And I've walked away because I'm hurt and I associate God with that. And that can be, and I mean, some people, some people use that as an excuse, of course, obviously, yeah. but it's a real thing. You know, that one, of the, one of the greatest sins that is ever recorded in all of biblical history is when David, the man after God's own heart, loves God, writes half of the Psalms, but he hits this point where when he finally becomes king, he starts living the high life, he lets his ego go, go to his head. And he's up on his palace one day and he looks down and he sees a woman bathing and says, I want her, I'm going to take her. And then he ends up committing adultery. He ends up having her husband killed. He ends up lying about it. He's violating the Sabbath. He breaks like every, all of the Ten Commandments in one right away, shot. Yeah. I mean, really, he does. It's, it's kind of interesting to think about. He breaks every one of the commandments along the way in his folly. But Nathan comes to him. And after telling him a story about the ewe lamb and all that stuff, he eventually, David gets it like, wow, I have really displeased God. And he's got this long list of sins, but when Nathan lays the charge down at David's feet, he says, because you have given the enemies of the Lord an opportunity to blaspheme his name, here are your consequences. And so everybody's looking at David. I mean, the whole nation. This is the guy that writes our songs. This is the guy that leads in worship. This is the guy that everybody in all the surrounding nations, when they think of Yahweh, he's the guy that's front and center representing Yahweh. And now he does this and every other nation around the world and all the people scattered throughout Israel are looking at it being like, oh, well, you're no different than us. There's nothing different about you people. Like, you're worldly. You do that stuff. Our king does that. Like, ugh. And God's going, oh, no, 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 no. You've just given all the enemies of God, the people who reject him, you've just given him an occasion to say he's no different. 
you cheapen his name. And when you get to the New Testament, that's exactly what you find in Romans, where Paul is talking about in Romans 2, chapter chapter 2, verses 21 to 24, he says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And then listen to what he says, because he's He's quoting backward into the Old Testament. He says, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So if you carry the name of God and you run around and you just engage in sin brazenly and you're, you're living the life, you're not just committing adultery, you're cheapening his name. You're not just committing murder. You're not just lying. You're not just doing all these things. You're doing it in his name. And Paul is like, yeah, okay, you, you steal idols and, and you rob and you steal and you commit adultery. And he lands and says, but you're blaspheming his name. It's like it almost has more gravity And blaspheming his name, taking his name, carrying his name everywhere you go and doing all these things. Like, it's not just you that's wrecking your life with your sins. You're harming the reputation of God. You'd better be careful. This is is eternal significance when you cheapen his name in front of a watching world. It makes him less appealing. Yeah, so a lot of ways the third commandment can be added to the first and the second as kind of the groundwork, the basis for it all. Well, and all the rest to come. Yeah. It's like Colossians chapter three, verse 17. What's it say? So this is our theme verse. And at the school, whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So it's not just about what comes out of your mouth. Listen to that. Whatever you do in word. Okay. So it is what you say matters, but deed as well. You do it all in the name of the Lord. Everything you do with your physical body, everything, every endeavor, every project, you're doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus because you are a Christian. You are his ambassador. And so what you do impacts his reputation. Just like if we had somebody from our staff at Rio Vista who went around and robbed a bank, it impacts the reputation of Rio Vista. Kind of awesome though. (laughs) Gosh, yes, it, that would. You don't be, hear about be bank a robberies story, a lot yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's true. Like that's kind of an old school crime. I should have used robbing trains or something yeah. just to really throw you off. But that's it, man. It's. I, I remember coming across a thought. Um, the best way, to, if you wanted to destroy a country's currency, you know the the traditional way of thinking about it was be well. If I want to destroy the currency, I need to round it all up, and I need to burn it, or I need to steal it, or I need to defile it, or you know desecrate it, mark all over it so that it's valueless. And it's like, no, that's not the best way that you destroy a nation's currency. The way you, if, if you want to make the dollar totally valueless, you flood the economy with a bunch of fakes. Because then nobody can tell. Like, is this the real one? Is this? I don't want. I don't want the dollar because you know, for every one dollar, there's seven fakes. And you know, I, give me gold. <laughs> you know, I, I don't trust this stuff anymore. And the same is true with Christians. Mm. The same is true. You know, it's like if you want to destroy the witness of the church, it's you know, it's not rounding up the Christians and burning them at the stake. The world's tried that. It doesn't work. It actually backfires. The church just spreads. You want to watch the church fall apart, not to give advice to the enemy, 
But you want to watch the church fall apart? Flood it with fakes. That will make the watching world say, I don't want those people. And do you think that's kind of what's created a cultural moment as a church? 100%. Because we come from a decade or two of where cultural Christianity has become Mm -hmm. lingo to where I I come on Sunday, I look good on the outside, but I'm not following after Jesus, definitely not in the Ten Commandments way. And then we get to a society that's devoid of God and because no one spoke up because he didn't matter enough. So all of a sudden we're like, oh, it wasn't. And this commandment, the probably the most overlooked commandment hmm. is at the heart of why we're failing. I think we don't fear his name. Hmm. We don't value his name. We don't we desperately want the world to see that he's different and we are not changed by the gravity of what he's done. He's not our number one God. He's we're surround, we're plagued with idols, but we're not repenting and, and throwing ourselves upon his grace and begging the Holy spirit to fill us and and crucifying all of our selfish desires and recognizing that his wisdom is better than ours and saying, Lord, I only have a brief life. That's a mist and a vapor. Do big things with me. I'm empty. I'm yours. I want your name to be lifted high. If that, if you cared more about his name than yours, the rest of these Ten Commandments become really, well, I won't say really easy. Desirable, at least. But they become desirable. That's a good way to say it. You know, you're always going to be battling against the flesh. You're always going to be failing. You're always going to be needing to throw yourself upon the mercy of God. But you know another thing that makes the name of the Lord look beautiful is when you do go out and you fail and they see that you repent and that you're throwing yourself upon the grace of God and they see the sweetness of God to embrace broken people Mm. who genuinely do not want his name to be denigrated. And they see, man, your God accepts you and you feel freedom from your past and your shame and everything else. Doing that in a way that the world can see makes God's name look precious. That's why David doesn't just fall off the radar after his great fall. He writes Psalm 51 and he adds it to the hymnal and they're like, oh my gosh, I get to sing the repentance of our king? Okay, he really does love the Lord and he's concerned about the name of God and the reputation of God. And so repentance plays into this to make the the name of the Lord beautiful. And that mattered more to David than his own. Mm. And that's why his repentance was beautiful and why it was accepted. It was a contrite heart, as Psalm 51 says. God desires a contrite heart and a, and a broken spirit. Like you come to him and say, man, I've, I've screwed up. He says, yeah, you're perfect in my eyes. We're good. And it makes his name so valuable. It wasn't the Ten Commandments that said, hey, I need some of that in my life. Like I need, you know, his name wasn't valuable enough to me until I realized that, oh my gosh, I violate all these things and he still wants me. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. It's it's experiencing him that makes you want to treasure his name and makes you want other people to hear his name and be like, oh yeah, Jesus, I, he's amazing. I want people to be excited about Jesus and to be excited about lifting him up because I know that when they treasure him, he's going to bless their socks off through good times and bad times. He's Mm going to be their rock. He's going to be enough for them because he's a good God and we want his name lifted high. And so, and saying all that, like the name of the Lord is precious because the name of the Lord 
is his essence. Like that's what we're to understand. And you walk through the Psalms and you see how many things we're to do in the name of the Lord. You look at the gospels and how many things we're to do in the name of the Lord. I love the the Psalm where it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Mm. The righteous run to it and are safe. Um, The name of the Lord provides so much and it's like, I want to find myself in the name of the Lord, but that's a terrifying thing because I'm not worthy of that name. Mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fail. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to measure up. But as a Christian, there's a humility in saying, I'm not going to measure up, yeah. and yet I'm safe here, and I'm going to do my best to honor him. And that, that really changes things. You know, when, whenever I'm introducing or inviting somebody to Rio and they're like, what's your church like? I say, you know, we take God very seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously mm-hmm. at all. You know, it's because we take God so seriously and we know his character. I want to drive more into you. I, I, you know, I want to know more about you. I want to love you more. I want to know your word more because the further I get to know you, the more awesome you are, the less serious I have to take myself right? There's freedom in that. Yeah, it's not about us anymore. It's not about us. It's all about his name. So just like we, we started talking about at the beginning, when Abraham is like being called, you know, right before that chapter, it's, it's the Tower of Babel and it's all of them trying to make a name for themselves. And Abraham then changes and he calls on the name of the Lord and God says, hey, Abraham, you let me worry about that. I will make your name great. And that's the beautiful thing of God. When we seek to call upon his name and to make his name treasured, you know what his response is? Watch this. I'll make your name great. You let go of your reputation and entrust it to me. I'll make your name great. Trust me. And that's reality. Except it's not just for this little mist and vapor that ends at the grave. Your name echoes for eternity in him it's a wonderful thing amen amen all right so before we sign off i want to remind everybody what do we got instagram youtube youtube we got a new email out of water at rio vista out of water podcast out of water podcast i messed everything's out of water podcast (laughs) out of water podcast at rio vista church.com and check out our YouTube channel, which again, for you, if you want to check it out and become a subscriber, that would be amazing and really helpful to us. That is youtube.com forward slash the at symbol under the hood FL. That's youtube.com forward slash at symbol under the hood FL. And so I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Join us next time as we continue down Uh, End of the list of the Ten Commandments, getting into the importance of the Sabbath and rest and honoring your parents. And maybe we'll make it further than that, but that's the only two I'm going to (laughs) promise for now. Safe. All right. God bless. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.com.